Irish people have never been strangers to war, battle, sacrifice or death. By the early 1900s, the flow of blood was as much an attribute to Ireland as the flow of streams. Countless rebellions, battles and mass graves are a common sight. The people, hardened by the experiences life continues to throw at them, never back down from a challenge. Coupled with this is a confused sense of identity, having been under British rule for 800 years but having rebelled at every opportunity, there is a mixed feeling going into World War I regarding the role the Irish should play. Some stay at home as an act of rebellion against the Crown, others suit up to go to fight for the rights of small nations across the globe, and others get their boots on and march proudly to the front lines under the guidance of the British Crown. From Ballincollig, County Cork, one man doesn't just march. He glides into battle. This is his story. Edward Corringham Manick was born in 1887 in the village west of Cork City. Here he lived with his mother and father and two older sisters. Born into a higher class than those around him and in a Norman town loyal to the British establishment, he aligned himself as a subject of the Crown. His father was a war hero, fighting for the British in the Anglo-Egyptian War as a corporal and worked as an editor of a newspaper until the Irish economy began to decline and he was forced to re-enlist in the army and took his family to India to join the Empire's efforts out there. They later moved to South Africa where Edward's father became a war hero once again in the Boer War. After the war, the family moved to England where they were abandoned by their father as he suffered from alcoholism and depression trying to readjust to civilian life. After a series of meaningless jobs, Edward enlisted in the Royal Medical Army Corps, seeing it as his duty of care towards the family legacy. Here he was quickly promoted to sergeant and it was in this position he saw the opportunity to give back to his homeland. He actively voiced a concern for the rights of the Irish people and became a strong supporter of the Home Rule Movement. Scale Fadigar The Home Rule Movement Edward fought for was the third of its kind. It intended to give Irish people the right to self-govern whilst remaining loyal to the British Crown. It had been something countless Irish politicians had fought for as a result of the laws the British imposed on the Irish in the previous century, which led to so many deaths during the Irish Famine. It allowed the Irish to have their own parliament whilst also stipulating that this parliament was to enact British laws in Ireland, whilst also looking after the interests of the Irish people themselves. On three occasions, the bills were passed by the House of Commons and then defeated in the Upper House of Lords. The House of Lords declared the Irish were not capable of ruling themselves as they were uneducated, unintelligent and unpleasant. 
When it was eventually to pass, a man who decided the fate of the world, Bosnian rebel Gavrilo Princip, shot and killed the Austria-Hungary prince, Franz Ferdinand. This assassination occurred by utter chance, as Princip had been part of a group who had tried and failed to blow up the prince's car as he passed through their town. Whilst the prince survived the initial attack, he and his wife went to visit those injured in the assassination attempt. As he left the hospital where the victims were being seen to, his driver mistakenly took a wrong turn and faced the wrong way down a one-way street. At the same time, young Princip sat in a cafe, contemplating the day which had passed and been a failure. As he took a sip from his cup, he looked over the rim and saw the car of the prince turning around in front of him. He placed his cup on the table, walked to the open-roofed car, drew his gun and executed the prince. This single act started the First World War. The Home Rule Act was to be paused as the war effort was now the primary concern of the British Empire. In an attempt to keep favour with the Crown, many Irish people joined the war effort. Some thought that if there was a large Irish contingent, the British would allow the bill to pass as a sort of thank you for their help. Others wanted to help the British in the fight as they saw it as their duty to the Crown. Others just wanted to see France. Edward's War began in May 1915. As he was part of the medical regiment, his initial role was to attend the medical needs of the German wounded who had been captured. He saw this as highly distasteful. Why should he help those trying to kill him? Being Irish, this was seen as a role which would suit him as it didn't need those with real intelligence. The British Army weren't overly concerned whether those captured lived or not and were therefore very lax in their treatment. Edward rejected this role. He applied to join the Royal Flying Corps. Edward was taking matters into his own hands and he was heading to war. He began training immediately. With racism towards the Irish in the British Army, he was only ever referred to as Mick. A name he did not try to shake off and he wore it with pride. Mick had to earn the trust and respect of his fellow pilots early or be left isolated in battle. What didn't help was when Mick took his first solo flight, he found that not only did he have a fear of heights, he also had a great fear of gunfire sounds and would flinch every time a gun would fire, even his own. He also had the issue of crippling paralysis at the sight of fire, a common sight in these planes. Mick would have to prove quickly he deserved his place in the cockpit and on April 13, 1916, he was one of the first British pilots into no man's land. Here he met with German guns for the first time, 
Mick saw his right wing rip clean off his plane but battled bravely as his plane hurtled to the ground. Remarkably, he managed to land safely behind his own lines. While shaking every time he got into the cockpit, Mick fought bravely throughout the war. He went on to be a pivotal member of the British Army, taking part in around 70 air battles and recording multiple kills and victories. He received the Military Cross twice and was a rare recipient of the Distinguished Service Order. He gained the respect of those in the Air Force with him. He became known as one of the most important figures in the war effort. He never shied from a battle and would regularly lead squadrons to the front lines of the air battles. On July 26, 1918, nearly three years into his war, Mick led a new arrival of New Zealand flyers into battle. Here he spotted an LVG two-seater circling in the air above his army. This was a scouting plane used to assess where gas chambers should be launched and contributed to the horrendous deaths of hundreds of thousands of soldiers due to gassing. This was a death Mick had seen for himself on the front lines. The most horrible way to die. The sulphur grips your lungs and blocks your airways. Soldiers would use their last moments on earth to claw at their throats to try and reopen their airways. They would steal gas masks from their friends who weren't quick enough to grab them and watched as they suffocated. Mick knew instantly that this plane must be taken down. He flew up and began to shoot. Being an expert pilot at this point it was not a contest and the German plane hurtled to the ground. There was a rule at the time. Never go low to see if your kill was successful. Mick had to check. He knew that if anyone survived the fall they would give up his fellow soldiers positions and they would be killed in the most horrible way. His attempts were successful. He watched as the German plane hit the ground and burst into flames. He began to climb back into the sky with another plane who had also gone to check. Of the two planes who began to rise to the sky, only one made it back up. It wasn't Mix. The other pilot reported the following. Falling in behind Mick again, we made a couple of circles around the burning wreck and then made for home. I saw Mick start to kick his rudder, then I saw a flame come out of his machine. It grew bigger and bigger. Mick was no longer kicking his rudder. His nose dropped slightly and he went into a slow right hand turn and hit the ground in a burst of flame. I circled at about 20 feet but I could not see him 
and as things were getting hot, made for home and managed to reach our outposts with a punctured fuel tank. Poor Mick, the bloody bastards had shot down my major in flames. Mick's body was never found. The music for this episode was written, performed and produced by myself, Ryan O'Halloran. The story was researched and scripted by Oren. If you want to help support this podcast, you can buy us a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash we the Irish or leave us a review on your podcast app. Ryan Isanam Dunn, Gurv Mahakut, Slananesh.